0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I hope you have printed out your code and are ready to send it to us, express mail, because we will be reviewing it this week to see if you are a good listener of this show or not, if we want to keep you around. No, I joke. I am Ben Popper. I am the director of content here at Stack Overflow, along with my wonderful co-hosts, Cassie Williams and Matt Kiernander. How's it going, y'all? Hello. Hello. So the news we cannot avoid, Elon Musk, one of the world's richest folks, bought Twitter, took it private. And I don't want to comment too much directly on him or on the company. That's not what we do on the show. But I think from a software development perspective, the most interesting nugget, which came from a former colleague of mine, Casey Newton at the Virgin Platformer, was a call went out for all developers to print out their code and that it was to be brought to Mr. Musk for review so he could decide who was an ace programmer and who was not. Then another email went out saying, oops. That's a big safety no no. Tear up all that code. We'll be coming around and and inspecting on your machine. But Cassidy, Matt, like realistically, what could one person who is not, you know, I mean, a genius as he may be, not an expert in many disciplines, know about somebody's work ethic or capabilities from like, I don't know, looking at a printout of their last week of code?
1: I'm very curious to see how all of these things will unfold, particularly on the engineering side, because so many people are talking about layoffs now it's it's just become a meme on twitter itself where it's just like well if anybody knows of roles i was the person who made it so that way. your dms are impossible to search through and stuff like that
2: i honestly i dislike (laughs) that trend of kind of memeing on layoffs and stuff that's really quite impacting i think it's quite distasteful to be honest but right yeah the, the whole reviewing last week's code like I think programming is is very much kind of like writing. Like you kind of need context and to understand what's going on. Right, that's what I was thinking. Snippet. You can't just look at like a day's worth of output and rate somebody's... Maybe
0: last week's job was to fix a memory leak or to you know like make something less cluttered, not to write code. You know, or yeah, right. you know maybe your job is deprecating a feature, which happens and can be great for a company if it helps you focus. You know, like I could see the one thing I could see is like show me the last week's code or your most recent code. And it's like six months old. And it's like, well, you haven't really been working like that. I could see, okay, like, it's just a quick check. Like, are you actually here or not? Because people might've been checked out for a while.
1: But even then you need the lines of code for that. Look at, Uh, say like, this is the Git log or this is a high level set of bullet points of the things that I've done. Like overall, it truly was just like, that made no sense.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it made
1: no sense. It was,
2: oh, gosh. There's a lot of kind of, I think, knee jerking to a lot of stuff that's been happening with the whole, because with software developers being very active on a platform like Twitter, it's something that they care about. They're kind of invested in a lot of people, you know, Ben and Cassidy, I know you've been on the platform for a long time and you have a significant amount of people who choose to. 14 years. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of people who are software developers deeply interested in this, especially with what happens to the developers at Twitter. And there's just a whole lot of chaos happening here that's very relevant to
0: I think it's fair to for us to have some opinions on stuff that works directly with developers and you know, like how would you review a developer in the abstract?, I don't want to comment on Elon or Twitter directly. That's not what this show is about. But Matt, to your point, it's it's impossible for other software developers to look away. We all communicate and sort of watch Twitter as kind of what the news and what's trending. And so seeing, you know, certain things, well, now people are being asked to work over the weekend to produce a new feature, yeah. you know, and that's like going to yeah. be the culture now. You know, that's a big, big shift. And the future failure success at Twitter, I think, will be tied up in that. You know, what kind of company is this? And, you know, other people have said, I'm not going to work over the weekend. You know, I'm not compromising in that way. So I think it's it's definitely interesting and there's no looking away from it.
1: There have been some commentary pieces around in general, just because the economy is not great. There's no secret about that. But fundraising right now is difficult for most startups. Layoffs are happening all over the place. And people are saying that this will be a very interesting vignette and look into the fact that a lot of tech companies probably don't need as many employees as they do. They could probably have a bit more of a lean machine. And a lot of startups in general are just like, oh, well, when we get funding, we can hire this many people so that we could grow. And I think that more companies now will be prioritizing sustainability. And mm. I think what'll be interesting is seeing like how much will they trim down the team, how much will they change the engineering culture in general, but also just like how will they try to make it a more sustainable platform as a business in right.
2: general? I'm inter- on the note of sustainability as well, I do wonder how that's going to impact potential growth and, and output as well, whether or not they're going to match, like look at sustainability from an employee perspective, whether or not they're going to say, okay, we have to lean down, but you also have to reduce our growth expectations to match because anytime you speak to a company or senior leadership team, that is not something that they want to do either.
0: Yeah, Cassie, to your point, it's, it's always fascinating to me to look at a company like Instagram or WhatsApp, where they just found some incredible product market fit and a lot of the marketing was done word of mouth, essentially. And yeah. I think Instagram had like 15 employees at the time it was sold for a billion, and WhatsApp had like 50. And so, you know, it is possible to get to massive scale and to have a very slick product and to really meet the needs of users without even having, you know, 100 employees. And so it's kind of like, but, you know, but what about all these other companies that now have 70, 80, 90,000? Like, what are all those people doing? It'll be interesting to watch it play out.
1: Yeah, I think there there's so many different examples of companies like that, where even teams within companies where a friend of mine used to work on Google Forms. And I don't know how big the team is at the time, but for a long time, that team was less than 10 people managing all Mm. of Google Forms. And that's a pretty big piece of software that a lot of people use. And so, yeah, Yeah. I, I can see that being a very common trend that we start to see more and more.
2: That really puts into perspective some of the teams, I guess, that I've been on throughout my career and looking back and saying, well, if there's 10 people who are working on a product that large, like forms, what was the idea in scaling the teams that I was working on to that point for much smaller products as well?
1: Yeah, because sometimes you just don't need them. And, and right. I'm not saying this to be like, yes, make those slashes, Elon, or anything like that. <laughs> like, I don't want anybody <laughs> yeah. to lose their jobs right now. I just think that there's going right. to be a very interesting trend of smaller teams and more steady growth rather than hyper growth
0: all right i wanted to touch on a few other items in the news i just wanted to say this word because i thought it was so cool github uh shut down a potential threat repo jacking man i just wanted to say repo jacking it sounds very cyberpunk sounds yeah. like house
2: music it like a good idiom mix
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds like a repo really good Jack. PDM mix. <laughs> <laughs> repo Jack. <laughs> Basically, you are giving away a name and making sure you're changing another name in the repo, and somebody comes in and scoops up the old name and then, you know, goes out and quietly pretends to be you. And I thought about this in the context of Twitter. Are there such things as like a verified repo? Like do they have like ways of saying, yes, this really belongs to this person? Because like that's kind of what this is attempting to do is use the, the name as the ploy to get you in.
1: No is the very quick answer. I I do yeah. think that's something that's worth looking into, just because unfortunately harassment does happen on GitHub and stuff, and so people mm. will like pretend to be someone else or or start spamming you and stuff, and there's not much you can do about it besides block and report. I could see with this whole concept of repo jacking and, <laughs> and taking people's code yeah. that could be that could be something not great. That's where I think a lot of times they've relied on the cynicism of developers who tend to look at the number of GitHub stars, how many forks does it have to kind of assess how legit a repo is.
0: Yeah, I think you're right about that. Like this new account probably wouldn't. Maybe though there's like bots who can help you gin up stars and, you know, like people kind of play that game and stuff like that. So, But I mean, it seems like they have gotten on top of this before it became too big of a deal. So that's a good thing. Having a hard time figuring out what's being naughty or nice in your application? Consider adopting Splunk Observability Cloud. You can observe any application anywhere in real time using open standard instrumentation. Learn more at splk.it slash so podcast. Make sure to use that link if you're interested in checking out more about observability. And that way you'll let them know the podcast sent you. All right, next item, investors have the hots for generative AI. I also have the hots for generative yeah. AI. Who I doesn't? Do Cassidy, You would you consider the company you work Workout Now to be generative AI?
1: It is generative AI. Yeah. I have a particular amount of hots for generative AI myself <laughs> because yeah. that is what my company does. But it's been really interesting because of this very funky climate that we're in, like now is the time to raise if you are in generative AI. Like my company contended we were in like the generative AI index that the the scale Mm. VC company just released last week. And and we were on an index that Sequoia released recently. And, And there's so much inbound and it's very interesting to see, which I'm not trying to just like boast, like we're amazing. I think it's truly just because investors really have the hots for it right now. And it's really interesting to see, could this be a cool gold rush? But what I think will be interesting is how to make it that way. It doesn't just produce spam because Mm -hmm. you both might've seen that Jasper AI recently raised like one of the largest series A's ever. Like they, I think their series A was something like 125 million and their valuation was over a billion dollars for a series A. That is wild especially in this climate, like it's good for them. But there's already articles on the other side of it being just like, oh, just so you know, Google's deprioritizing the spammy articles that you're putting out just for SEO fluff and stuff. And so on our end, we're trying to figure out how do we generate high quality content that isn't spammy? Because when you have an AI that is so good at generating anything that could add a whole lot of noise and you have to figure out how do you stick out amongst that.
0: I think the other fascinating area for this of this for me is that it unlocks so much creativity. It can produce so much powerful and useful content and it seems to be getting better at such an astonishing rate. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure your companies think about this, like the issues around like sort of copyright and what you know goes in to train the machine. Are very interesting. In your case, for content, it's a little different because it's like you that you know your customers are supplying the content for the Mid Journey types and stuff like that. Who now have like an enterprise account in their terms of service. You know they explicitly say like, look, if you get sued, like we're not responsible. We're not claiming we have the copyright for this. You use it at your own risk. So really interesting to see what happens in that kind of both. It's interesting that VCs would be willing to invest in that, and I also want to see how you know it develops and plays out and where the law ends up landing.
2: I do wonder if that's going to be, you know, for the greater good type of thing that might happen later on down the line where people kind of realize the benefit that all of these AI tools have on creativity and, and their mm-hmm. own workflows. And everyone kind of just accepts, okay, so like my original artwork is going to be fed into this machine, which is going to, you know, enable other creators to generate more stuff too. But then I'm also going to be able to benefit from that at the end of the day. So everyone might just decide, oh, this kind of sucks and the copyright thing is a little bit of a gray area, but at the end of the day it's benefiting everyone more than it harms i don't know
1: i don't know i think that's where again there's there's lots of companies in this space right now and i don't think all those companies are going to end up being there at the end of the day just because you have to find that exact point of how do you make this useful where general people are just like wow this is this is a pretty good thing and this is a useful tool because so so much of it is it's just like well you're ripping off artists now that's not cool you don't want that to be a thing. And and so how do you make this a tool that makes a human's job easier without being bad?
0: For lack of a better word, (laughs) right? Yeah, I would be interested in like a version where it's like it's only stuff that's way out of the Creative Commons. Like you can only reference artists that are from pre 1850 or whatever, because like Mm -hmm. there's no copyright that exists there. (laughs) And if it's post, I want a license, and and that artist is going to see a little bit of the uh, little bit of the revenue, whatever it may be. All right. Small news: Slack has typing info in threads. Typing info. What's typing info?
1: Oh, so like like saying Cassidy is typing in a thread.
2: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There was this was an article that just popped up today, and it was written by The Verge, and they were very positive about the benefits that it offered. Because there's a, a lot for a media agency. There's a lot of coll- collaboration there. It's software developers. It's the same thing. Somebody posts a thread. It's hard differentiating who is actually typing within a thread versus who is actually doing it within the main channel and, and contributing to the main block. And so now that separates the two, so you can see who is writing out like. A one liner and a thread, as opposed to kind of typing up a whole message to the entire channel, which might be important.
1: That is nice. It's small, but it's like a quality of life improvement.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, thank you for doing that. I, you know, it's something that is genuinely I'll useful. I like it. Yeah.
0: Show me your code from last week. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right. I don't know if you all know about this company, but I just wanted to bring them up the browser company. I, they oh, came yeah. onto my radar. Cassie knows great. I'm excited because a friend of mine, Ellis Hamburger, who has the best Twitter handle of all time at Hamburger, left Snapchat to go work there. And they're all about building a sort of privacy-respecting next-gen browser that isn't connected as much to the data collection and more about personalizing your user experience. I think they're kind of a pre-revenue thing. But interestingly, today they hired somebody who, very deeply involved in the creation of Google Chrome, little web browser you might have heard of. So Cassidy, yeah, tell me a little bit about what you've heard and what your thoughts are on browser companies.
1: So honestly, I've mostly keep track of them because I like their design and logos and stuff. They have cool hats.
2: I was just about to say, their website is pretty immaculately designed. It's very pleasant to browse through.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure their technology is amazing, but I do really appreciate that. A lot of what their values and like what they're putting out there reminds me of Our podcast that we had a long time ago, I don't actually remember when it was, with Alexander Obernauer, who is doing a lot of research about the future of the personal operating system. It feels like they're doing that very similar type of work, but for the browser. And I'm all for it because everybody's been getting away with kind of harvesting data for so long. It's kind of nice to see people trying to move against that grain.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the complication to me is that Browsers now are increasingly built into larger ecosystems that that act as a second brain. We've talked about second brain a lot, right? Like I rely on my browser to sync from desktop to mobile and across multiple machines and remember all my passwords and have my favorite sites ready. And it's it's hard to give all that up, you know, or redo that or reimport that. And at the same time, I completely agree, you know, about the distraction element, the context switching, uh, you know, the privacy and tracking, you know, none of that is stuff I particularly want in a browser. Do I like alternatives? Absolutely. I like alternatives. I also feel trapped. I feel trapped by the convenience. Uh, so there you have it.
1: Well, and they're they're designed to keep you in. Like I remember yeah. I was talking to someone where they were saying one of our biggest competitors is sleep actually, because if <laughs> yeah. people are doing that, then they're not using our services. And so they have to figure out how do we design it so that you keep using us and not sleeping. And it's just is so dystopian to say that out loud. Yeah. Right.
2: There's also I just on the subject of being locked in as well, when it comes to mobile, especially like the Apple ecosystem, as far as I'm aware, a lot of the third party browsers like Chrome and everything else, they all have to use kind of Safari underneath the hood. So I'm going to have to verify this, but I'm pretty sure that when you're building another browser with an iOS application, it's all using the same underlying technology. So I'm not sure how something like this would work in in an Apple ecosystem sense. With Android, it might be very different, but there's going to be some hurdles. I think that people are going to have to jump through to get this personal experience that's not ad-driven.
0: I want to shout out actually both of you, Matt you did a video with John Chant that got over a thousand views on our YouTube, and Cassidy, oh, yeah. you were in the video about job hopping that got over a thousand views. And I know a thousand views in a YouTube video is not great, but for Stack it's Overflow something. videos, it's a new—we're we're reaching new milestones here. We're going from fifty to hundred to five hundred to a thousand. So thank you to everybody who watched the videos and to the growing audience there that's checking our stuff out. We appreciate it.
2: Also, the the comments on the John video as well were very very sweet. So thank you for anybody who's listening who uh, posted on there too. Yes.
0: We're small enough where people are still generally positive.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: You have to stay in that sweet spot.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We don't want to get too big. All right. Thank you, as always, to Alessandro Suglia, awarded two days ago. Came on a Stack Overflow and got a Lifeboat badge for helping to save a question with a negative score. Give it a great answer. Now it's got a positive score. How to get the string before dot and after slash last, the last slash in Java. Alessandro has the answer for you and I will share it in the show notes in case you've ever run into this problem. All right, everybody. I am Ben Popper. I am the director of content here at Stack Overflow. I am Ben Popper on Twitter. I will share my Mastodon username in, in the near future <laughs> in case you want to find me there. <laughs> but if you really want to get in touch and just chat with us or any of the hosts or suggest things, just hit us up podcast at Stack Overflow or leave us a review. It really helps.
1: I'm Cassidy Williams. You can find me at Cassidoo, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O on most things. I'm the CTO at Contenda doing all that generative AI magic. Oh, so hot right now. Generative AI. so hot <laughs> <right now. laughs>
2: I, I love the Zoolander reference. Thank you for that. It's been a while. I should watch that movie again. And I'm Matt Kiananda. I'm a developer advocate here at Stack Overflow. You can find me online on the YouTube and Twitter. For now, at Matt Kander, M-A-T-T-K-A-N-D-E-R.
0: Very cool. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon.